Welcome to Surviving Saturday, a podcast about holding on to hope in the midst of life's difficulties, disappointments, and dark seasons. Times like that remind us of the agony and despair the followers of Jesus felt on the Saturday of Easter weekend, in between the Friday on which he was crucified and the Sunday on which he rose from the dead. That Sunday forever changed the way that humans can relate to God. But what does it look like to be honest about the very real pain we experience in the in-between? To fervently cling to hope in the God who promised us His peace and His presence at times when He feels distant or even cruel. I'm Wendy Osborne, a licensed counselor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm her husband, Chris, a marriage mediator, conflict resolution coach, and trauma-informed story work coach. Join us each episode for authentic conversations about how life not turning out as we'd expected has created the contextual soil for the growth of a tenacious hope in the resurrection and in a God who is still making all things new. Hey there, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Surviving Saturday podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Osborne, and with me as always is my lovely bride, Wendy. Hello. We are coming to you today. It's just a little bit after the new year still. 2024 is still a little bit of, uh, it's still fresh. It still has promise. It still has uh, so much potential to unlock. Um, and we had an opportunity this morning. We were with some friends who are spiritual directors, actually. Um, and we were invited to a time of kind of rest and reflection. And, and really, they encouraged us to consider, you know, what does it mean to look for God uh, in this coming year. And so in our last episode, we talked a little bit about doing an examine, kind of a reflection back. Where do we see God speaking? Uh, where do we hear from him and meet him over the course of the past year? This was a time that, that sort of built on that and, and was calling for some personal reflection and contemplation. Uh, but then, uh, you know, with anticipation and hope, looking towards um, what's coming in the future, which everybody likes to do kind of around this time of year too. Um, and, and part of what happened as we were discussing our experience coming out of it is it reminded us of why we're really passionate about what we would call story work. Um, but that may be a term that we throw around that not everybody's familiar with. Wendy, when we talk about story work um, and the kind of ways that we like to engage people in their stories and dealing with you know their lives what do we mean what are we talking about um to me it is a practice of pursuing god's redemption and so it includes looking back over the experiences we've lived to find the themes of evils, sabotage, and God's redemption. And those two things will often be very directly linked. Um, but to do this, it means that we have to be willing to consider the details, often the minutiae of our lives, the specifics, the particularities. And it takes sharing those with a wise and a kind guide, or it can be a group of fellow travelers. Um, but those people can help us read the themes of our lives and identify pathways toward redemption and toward the freedom that Jesus offers us. That is, that's so really well said. Can we unpack it just for a little bit? Um, yeah. Tell me what you mean when you say that the themes of evil sabotage and God's redemption often are linked. What is that? What can that look like? Yeah, so evil cannot take out God himself. The battle there has already been 
declared victorious on God's behalf. But it can wreak havoc in the lives of God's people who bear his image. Okay. And so evil is as aware of our own specific designs as God is, probably often more aware than we are of our goodness and our dignity. Mm. And it will come after the best parts of us in order that we might question God, that we might turn against Him and turn against ourselves. And those are the places that God longs to restore and to use us to bring His goodness into the world. And so in a way, um, it's the redemption that you speak of is involves understanding how evil has operated yes and the territory it's taken yes and then letting god transform that into you know kind of that joseph experience of oh though they meant it for evil i actually meant it for good there's right. something different that comes out of it I'm, I'm reminded as we talk about it of the the passage i think it's in um uh c.s lewis's book um um I'm going to forget which one it is, but it's, uh, I think it's the weight of glory, uh, but where uh, there's a character who has a demon on their shoulder, a oh, dragon yeah. that's like, uh-huh. you know, just yelling at them, screeching them, like, you know, destroying them. It's taken them out. It's ruined their life. And as the healing redemptive process happens, as this person, I think, you know, they come into heaven, um, that small shrieking demon doesn't go away it turns into this glorious stallion yes that the person rides off on yes and so there's this transformation that happens of the worst of the pain and things that happen that can be in the hands of god turned into the source of great redemption and healing for yourself and for others yes is that yes. capture some of it yes yes and, you, and it sounds like that's this kind of thing you see happen in the the therapy room All the time, all the time. And when it doesn't happen, people are hungry for it. And then we have to wait on the spirit to choose the time to do the work. Yes. Well, and unpacking uh, more of your definition, just briefly, um, it it involves getting granular into the details of not just like I could say for years, um, I had a chaotic family household growing up. My parents divorced. My dad was gone. I knew on some level that was um, formative. Mm-hmm. But story work that I've engaged in with kind guides and with other people in the last few years has been very granular getting into what was it like to be that eight-year-old child yeah. who was asked to do this or who witnessed this. How did you feel? And, and you know, questions I would never ask myself. But like, what was it like to be that kid? How do you feel towards that part of yourself? All of this. And and the more specifically we can see evil's intention to devour, the more specifically we can see the power and the goodness of God to overcome it. Yes. And then part of, so what we're talking about here too is I know a lot of people use the terminology these days, my lived experience, my Mm -hmm. experience, or some people use the the phrasing like my truth, let me tell you my truth and all. And, you know, the problem with the word truth is, of course, um, is it objective? Is it subjective? We get lost, go down bunny trails. Like, uh, you know, I have clients right now who want to get into, well, this is what really happened or this is what's truth. And I'm like, well, okay, let's be careful because somebody else experienced that same scenario and they may not... Describe it the same way. What do we do then? Do we debate 
who's well, experience I, is I right. Well, I remember <laughs> even um, navigating or mediating arguments between our kids when they were little. Yes. And one <laughs> would take center stage and tell everything. And I remember another one came to just sit and say, I'm going to sit right here. And when you want to know what really happened, <laughs> ask me. Because right. they had very different um, beliefs about what had just gone on between them. Well, and it bugged me when I was a young lawyer practicing, too, because I sort of had this idea there is the capital T truth and we can find it through the adversary process. And when I ran into repeatedly, no, we can't. Yeah. I would finish a trial or a deposition or something way more confused than I started because I'm like, gosh, they sound like they believe that too. Like that whole idea about you'll find who the liar is and smoke them out and all that. This myth is nonsensical. So um, anyway, getting back to the idea though of lived experience, everybody has their lived experience for sure. But what this story work is calling us to is, is something a little deeper. I think I would, I heard a, a great phrase for it recently, learned experience. In other words, have we taken notes on the themes, the patterns? Have we paid attention to what's happened? Have we learned from it? How yeah. have we grown? Because oh, yeah. uh, many people can tell you their living experience. They can tell you yeah. whole, their whole life story. But have we learned how we let God sit and tend to those parts of us? Yeah. Um, and, and so I love, for me, it's been a joy to discover that this kind of work is both very individual. It sometimes is, invites me to sit with God alone, like we yeah. did today. I was born, you're not going to do anything else for two hours. Yeah. But but engage with this prompt, which we're going to get to in just a second. But engage with this and let Jesus just minister to you directly. Um, one of the experiences I described having over the last year that was so helpful was this you know retreat where I got together with other people. But one of the instructions was spend time alone with God each day and just listen and don't read or do or mm. accomplish anything. And it was powerful. Um, and at the same time, the invitation was to be in community with other people. Like you said, that group of fellow travelers who could also pick out themes. And that was so much fun to watch. Like I could pick up themes and other people's stories yeah. that I was completely just whiffing and missing in my own and vice versa. Somebody else who we just helped see something then comes into somebody else's story and they're like the person with the eyesight and the and the insight because they're coming from the outside. And so um, what we wanted to do uh, is, uh, you know, one, to just highlight uh, the, the value of that aloneness and just sit with God and, and tend to yourself and tend to your relationship with Him and doing this in community. Um, and what we want to do today in this ed episode is to talk a little bit, uh, to share a little bit more about what that individual time was like for us today. When somebody gives us a prompt, we're going to share kind of what the prompts were and where we went with it and how the themes of story are sort of interwoven with it. Uh, and so we'll start, I'll read a section. So we went uh, for this uh, rest and rest and return kind of um, mini spiritual retreat. And there were two prompts that were given to us. Um, I'm going to read uh, the first part of a poem um, that was part of uh, what we were asked to interact with. It's called For Those Who Have Far to Travel, and it's by a woman named Jan Richardson, who has some great poetry collections. that Fabulous books of blessings and poetry. She was a young widow, and... I highly recommend her books. Yeah, I've, I've been surprised at how uh, just moving. Uh, yeah. yeah, I found it. Um, so I'm going to read the first part of this poem, and then, Wendy, if after that, you'll read what you wrote sort of in reflection in response to that. Okay. So here's Jan Richardson's poem. Um, if you could see the journey whole, you might never undertake it. 
might never dare the first step that propels you from the place you have known toward the place you know not. Call it one of the mercies of the road, that we see it only by stages as it opens up before us, as it comes into our keeping, step by single step. There's nothing for it but to go, and by our going, take the vows the pilgrim takes, to be faithful to the next step, to rely on more than the map, to heed the signposts of intuition and dream, to follow the star that only you will recognize, to keep an eye for the wonders that tempt you from the way. All right, so I sat with that and wrote a reflection for the new year. Um, I've called it Looking Back to Look Ahead, and it's fairly long, so... It's fairly beautiful. So hang on to your New Year's Eve with. party hats if you've still got them. <laughs> if I had seen all that was to be ahead, I would have said no thank you to the journey. I would have said that I couldn't withstand the body shame which surfaced on my wedding night. How being naked and unashamed reads as an impossibility to my particular physical self. I would have told you that the anger which surfaced in my husband when he couldn't save me from all of my past pain and present insecurities would have taken me apart at the seams in such a way that would make me coming back together again a futile sort of project. I would have maintained that the pull on my husband towards pornographic images that promised soothing to him would have shoved me under the tsunami of body shame until I was lost at sea forever and eventually drowned. I would have been clear that the 14-hour cancer scary surgery my husband endured when we were 28 and I was alone and wondering if he'd still be alive to walk me through adult life would leave me paralyzed with anxiety and a parallel commitment to never again extend my heart for fear that it would be only and ultimately broken. If I had known that journeying with my mother-in-law through 14 years of cancer while I homeschooled three children was to be a part of the story, I would have said, I cannot do it. It is just too much. If I had seen ahead of time the ways depression and anxiety, body image and eating disorders, and intense bouts of anger would come to visit our family, I would have shut down the whole venture before it ever started. Probably good to save us and the rest of the world from our struggles, I'd have told you. If you had told me that I would still be contending with profound shame and deep insecurities over who I am in the world well into my 40s, I would have opted to stay in bed and avoid that whole storyline. That probably would have been at five years old, which would mean that my hibernation would be pushing five decades at this point. <laughs> if I had known the amount of bitterness and distrust I carry and the doubts that anyone, including Jesus, loves me no matter what, I would have said, you can't change what's true just before turning away from you, grabbing my pillow overstuffed with ambivalence, and crying myself to sleep. 
If the decisions family members would make and the disconnection I'd feel so deeply at times were known to me then, I would have told you that I didn't think the effort would be worth it and I wouldn't be here writing now. But because I didn't know then what the minutes of life would look like along the way, I am here now. I bear scars and some still hot to the touch open wounds, but I am here. I have made it to the now. Both my body and my soul are marked by the battles and both have expanded as I have done what I would have told you I couldn't do. The truth is that I was right to feel my fears and my dread, to taste the futility and the powerlessness. But the truth is even more so that I wasn't left alone in the struggles or with my broken heart before or after. The stories I've lived have meant that I've been closely acquainted with evil. Yes, I've seen it up close. I've experienced the dark and thought I might never escape its smothering. But equally true is this fact. The stories I've traversed have also meant that all of my senses have been desperate for the light of Jesus. Before the starting gun of this thing called my life fired, I would have told you there was no use trying. I couldn't do it myself, and I wasn't sure God would make a way that left me feeling safe and in good hands. I think I've pretty much believed that life is a bit of a test and a pass-fail version at that. I've had the notion that God was watching to see how I'd handle things. If I'd be content to lay down happy for holy, if I'd be willing to exchange feeling safe for being a pleasing servant. What I've learned as I've endured what I would have said would end me is that he's been there every step of the way. Just like welding weakened metal makes the element stronger than it was in the first place, his allowance of me walking through cancer and addictions, mental illness and anger, loneliness and fear, has grown me stronger and sturdier than I was before the journey began and than I ever could have become without all of these particular painstaking steps. It has taken this journey for me to see him rightly, a priestly king who leads me into the presence of all sorts of animate and inanimate enemies, and as one who binds my wounds while I do battle there, as I fight for my own heart while his spirit pulses through the veins of my soul. I've learned that what I would have previously called tragic endings are actually the beginnings of new chapters, each new page raising the question of how tightly I'm willing to squeeze Jesus' hand as we journey together into more of what is completely unknown to me. As I anticipate this next trip around the sun together with him, I take courage knowing that along the way, I will lay the treasures that have been hidden in and recovered from my personal darkness at his feet, each one being a unique and profound offering for the restoration he has given to my heart as my life has come apart at the seams over and over and over again. Thank you for coming, Lord Jesus. 
I can't wait to see you again. Wow, hon. Um, what does it feel like to read that? Um, it felt very tender um, to write it and to read it. Yeah. Like the stories that I mentioned by phrase, they, they, there are volumes behind the few words. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm struck by, I mean, I always am in awe of your gift of being very concise. But when I just listen, having walked alongside you with a lot of that, just knowing what you packed in there. Like, mm. you didn't just sit down and spit this out today based on what you learned today and what you could do oh, today. Like, this no. is, there's so much that goes into being able to express that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were the times that I lived lots of those things. I had no words for them. Yeah. Oh, honey, that's especially powerful for you to phrase it that way because I hadn't thought about that. Um, there were times you literally had no words. Yeah. You couldn't speak to, you were in distress or you were feeling things, but you didn't, you had no way to communicate them because, I mean, we know that's part of your family story. They weren't welcome from a young age. Um, so for you to end up with this beautiful gift of words, I think it's pretty amazing. Mm. Um, and it, it's it's really faith-inspiring. Mm. Um, it's definitely inspired my faith. I mean, you know, when I say I didn't have words, there were times that I didn't know the right words to name what was happening yeah. and to know what to call the pain or to name in a way that felt genuine to me that Jesus cared about it. Yeah. But there have been a few times in my life, and you've been there for a couple of them, where I literally went mute. Yes. And I... Something was happening that was so scary that I literally could not form words. And for a long time, I carried a lot of shame around that. Right. Of what kind of person couldn't scream for help. Yes. Couldn't explain what has them so afraid. Yes. Um, but I think it was my nervous system shutting down because I was overwhelmed and unable to stop what was happening. Yes, I think, because I think, as you're saying that, the answer to your question, what kind of person is a human person? Yeah. A human person who gets, who, who feels and, and is, is honestly reckoning with harm and hurt, um, that's literally a nervous system response that you described. The, the Broca's area, the language yeah. area, the brain actually goes offline because it's not necessarily gonna be helpful for survival. Right. You know, you're going to survival mode. Um, and I can only relate to that a little bit. More. Like that was your journey was having no words and then learning to speak. And then the thing that always happens too is we misuse even as we are trying to heal. So in other oh, words, yeah. you know, you would have words. Sometimes you had words and you had lots of words and they were all coming out. And there was, yes. you know, there's a way, there's multiple yes. ways to be dysregulated. And for me, the journey has been sort yeah. of the opposite of, oh, I always had lots of words. Words were my stock and trade and how I figured out how to navigate life. The more stressed I get, the more verbal I get. And for me, 
there's been a real journey to silence at mm. times. Yeah. And to just, can you not fill every second, both in my head, yeah, in a conversation, in a relationship, for me to actually let go of words, because they're what I used to spin and dance myself out. Yeah. Um, and to, to have a time period of few words. And, and, and I've had to get in touch with that feeling of overwhelm, but we'll talk about me later. Um, so. Well, and I think, you know, as you say that, you know, yeah, there were times when I first respected my voice enough to speak mm-hmm. that my words often came with daggers because I was still trying to find a way to protect myself. And yes. I moved out of silence yes. into words but the words were not always loving or kind or holy for even my own redemption. Yeah. And so it's been a matter, I think, of my body learning to rest in Jesus' goodness enough that I can speak And even if I am not heard or protected on a human level in some way, um, meaning by another person's words or dismissal, um, that I have the ability to trust that he is still there. Yes. And his arms are around me and his face is kind. Yes. And so my words don't have to be weapons right. that keep dangers at bay. That really resonates. I'm remembering, because I'm remembering what the journey was like for me as somebody, you know, one of my love languages, words of affirmation, which means one of the easiest ways to wound me is is words as well. I take yeah. them to yeah. heart. Um, and so you're, we can look back on, on that particular time period with greater compassion, partly because understanding both of our stories and how I went to words and, and, you know, my words will make everything right is, is the lie that I bought. Yeah. And, and, and for a good reason, because they yeah. did sometimes. Yeah. But so when you're learning to have a voice and it's coming out all different kinds of ways, I'm freaking out mm-hmm. um, because you were more in touch with your feeling and you had reason to have the feelings you had. Um, at the time, it didn't feel that way, though. Like, we can look back. But I remember a particular moment somewhere probably after I had started in counseling where the counselor was working with me on, sometimes you don't have to have an answer. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes she's going to say things and can you hear the essence? Can you hear the heart longing of what's there instead of freaking out about, you just said this, which mm-hmm. was mainly, the, would you say is that fair? That's the energy yeah. I often brought was, you just said this and I'm you know freaking out about that. Yeah. And I remember this moment at her house on Summerlin where I think you said something to the effect of you were really distraught. I don't remember what by. And I remember you said, I can just see why some women just walk away from it all. Mm, I remember that. I remember exactly where we were. And I remember that I, for like the first time, didn't freak out over that because I was learning that, you know, the the way to freak me out and get my nervous system going crazy is is threatened to abandon or not be there. But instead of hearing that as a threat and, and getting fixated on, you can't say that. That's not right. That's, you know, a lot of the energy I would have brought. I remember I just held you. Um, it was supernatural because this is not naturally my skill. But yeah. I just held you and like I heard, oh, you're really upset. And I, I think at the time 
I was overwhelmed and I was feeling abandoned, like that my heart wasn't mattering. Yes. And so my words would get very um, extreme mm-hmm. to communicate that. And so when you were willing to just come in and physically embrace me, that provided such relief because I felt your presence in such a tangible way. Yes. And I had to like, it felt like learning a whole new muscle or skill set. And maybe it was relearning something that I had possibly known, but law school and law practice had trained out of me because uh, most of my life was, oh, let's engage those words. You said bad words. You said betraying words or abandoning words. And so uh, I'm going to, you know, make you pay for that in some way. Um, and I remember that being a, a, a turning point moment for us. Like, oh, wait, I, she didn't she didn't really mean that. Like, she's leaving now. She's expressing a really strong feeling, and I can be okay with that happening and not lose my head. Right, because what would happen when you would have a strong reaction, which makes sense in hindsight that you would, um, but at the time... It made me believe all over again it was futile to try to use my voice. Yes. Yes. And so we both were um, at risk of staying captive to old patterns. That you would use a lot of words and I would use none. But inside we were both brokenhearted and boiling with anger. So what I just want to kind of celebrate as we draw this episode to a close is... Um, yeah, the redemption that's literally happening um, and that the, the people who sit with you get to experience um, because you bring them wisdom, you bring them words, you bring that safe presence. Um, but I want to make sure people know it's hard fought. It is not easily one that you got there. No, um, it's not. <laughs> and and that's the hope that, that diving into these particulars and, and I remember some of the stories that you've processed, and some of them we'll probably share in future yeah. episodes, but where you, silence was how your body responded because you're small and you were in a terrifying situation and all that. And, and just God's deliverance from that is nothing short of a beautiful miracle that I want to watch and help mm. happen. Mm. Um, but I'm grateful. Um, Thank you for your part in it. Yeah. Well, and thank you for the grace for when I was not playing a good part in it. Um, mm-hmm. If you hear nothing else from what we bring in this podcast, folks, it's that um, marriage is not a course to be run perfectly by knowing all the steps and knowing all the turns. It's not a set of techniques you can learn to get it all right. Um, as I'll share, the getting it all right can be really dangerous and mm-hmm. harmful. Um, but it is a journey that God comes along with us on. And gosh, isn't it great? He meets us each where we are and helps us grow and develop into Christ-likeness in the ways that we each individually need to. Yes. Um, So we're going to stop there and we're going to pick up next time, Chris, with some of what you took away from your contemplation this morning because I think it's really important and... um, I'd like you to share it. I will look forward to doing that. We'll see you on the next episode of Surviving Saturday. 
The Surviving Saturday podcast is brought to you by Nurture Counseling PLLC, a counseling teaching and training center based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. We help families flourish one story at a time. Nurture Counseling provides counseling, counseling intensive for couples, conflict resolution coaching, story work groups, seminars, workshops, and retreats to provide a safe and welcoming context for exploring the agonizing experiences of pain, brokenness, and evil that disrupt our lives and that God often uses to nurture deeper trust and intimacy with Him and with each other. You can find us online at www.nurturecounseling.net.